Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Okay, good evening. I have the, the privilege again tonight of sharing the Word with you. Those of you who have your Bibles here, you're welcome to um, open with me at uh, 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16. But before I... I'm going to uh, read the sort of last part of uh, First Kings and then the first part of Second Kings. Uh, no, no, sorry. That's <laughs> that would take a long time. No. <laughs> and it would, be, it would be a little bit depressing because you just read, you know, so-and-so did evil in the sight of the Lord and, you know. But I'm going to read the last part of First Kings 16 and the, and the first part of First Kings 17. <laughs> But, but I just want to read you a, another scripture first from Deuteronomy, um, chapter 32, verse 47, for those who are taking notes. And um, why I want to read this is, uh, Deuteronomy is, is the last book of the, of the Torah, the, the so-called Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the, the law of Moses that Moses wrote. Um, and Deuteronomos... Deutero means second and nomos means law, the second giving of the law. Um, and it was just as they were on the edge of the promised land, at the Jordan, uh, ready to cross over, that Moses was again giving them the law, reminding them. And the books that follow on that, from Joshua all the way to Second Kings, are referred to by scholars as Deuteronomistic history, because... In Deuteronomy, Moses predicts exactly what's going to happen when they enter into the promised land. That as they are faithful, God's going to bless them, and then as they are unfaithful, God is going to curse them. And God's eventually going to take them into captivity. And Joshua starts with Joshua leading the children of Israel into the promised land to possess the land, and there's much blessing, and God allows them through His grace to conquer peoples that are much more powerful than they are. Because they're faithful to him and they trust in him. But as time goes on, you know, they sort of start falling away from the Lord. And now and then there's a little revival of faithfulness to the Lord, but they keep falling away. And eventually, as God predicted, uh, in Second Kings, they are taken away into captivity. Uh, and the last king um, recorded in Second Kings is a king in captivity in Babylon. And... Um, it's as though the books of Joshua to Second Kings, you know, all those books uh, in between, sort of in history pr- play out what Deuteronomy has uh, predicted, what Moses predicted in, in Deuteronomy. So I just want to read you these two verses from Deuteronomy 32. Uh, it says, and, and Moses said to them, that's to, to the people, Take to heart all the words I've solemnly declared to you this day, so that... Uh, you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of the law. And what happened to Joshua, you know, between Joshua and Second Kings, what happened to their children, these children that they have to command the law to. And then he says, they, these, these words of the law, these words of the Lord, are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. These words of the Lord are not just idle words to you. They are your life. I've entitled my sermon this evening, Not Just Idle Words. And um, 
I want us to look at um, this portion, like I said, in, in, in 1 Kings 16 and 17. And, and we're going to see a lot of, of this playing out. But I want you to notice, as I'm going to read it now, I want you to notice the theme of the word of the Lord. And I want you to notice three things. If I, if I had to sum up this little portion of Scripture that I'm going to read now, uh, I would sum it up like this. The word of the Lord always comes to pass. The word of the Lord always comes to pass, whether it's the word of the Lord against us, whether it's the word of the Lord through us, whether it's the word of the Lord to us, and whether it's the word of the Lord for us, the word of the Lord always comes to pass. Okay, so let's, let's just read that. I'm going to read from verse 29 of First uh, Kings chapter 16. It says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he, uh, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. So um, by this time, I mean, you, you had the three kings of the United Kingdom, Saul, David, and Solomon. And then after Solomon's reign, the, king divide, the kingdom divided into the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, with some Levites, and um, the, the ten northern tribes of Israel, with uh, Samaria. Jerusalem was, was the capital of the southern kingdom uh, of, of Judah, and Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. In verse 30 it says, And Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He did not only consider it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. And he set up an altar for, the, uh, for Baal in, in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole, and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. In Ahab's time, um, Hael of Bethel built, rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of his firstborn son, Ab- Ab- Abiram, and uh, he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, uh, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravine, uh, the ravens, sorry, brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. So Lord, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your word. And we want to pray, Lord, that, that you'll minister to our hearts, Lord, and, and, and help us, Lord, really to understand it, Lord, and be encouraged by it and be be challenged by it, Lord. Please speak to us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So, <clears throat> like I said, the word of the Lord always comes to pass. Whether it's the word of the Lord against us, whether it's the word of the Lord through us, whether it's the word of the Lord to us, and whether it's the word of the Lord for us. Now, what we see here in the background, like I said, is, is a, a big piece of Deuteronomy. 
Um, Deuteronomy gave a lot of laws, and some of those laws were make sure that when you cross over the pro, the pro, to the promised land that you are faithful to the Lord. I just want to read you a few portions of that just so you can sort of um, get an idea. In um, Deuteronomy 11, I'm just going to read from verse 13, it says, uh, So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm going I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then I will send rain on the land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, um, so that you may gather the grain, new wine, and oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the, uh, then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and uh, he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce. And you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols to your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on your door frames of your house and on your gates, etc. So <clears throat> God says, when you cross over, be careful that you're not enticed by these foreign gods. And that's exactly what um, you know, Ahab didn't do. <laughs> he did exactly the opposite. All these warnings about if you are unfaithful to the Lord, if you turn away from the Lord, if you... Um, sort of leave the covenant and start serving other gods, enticed to serve other gods, all these curses will come upon you. So there are all these warnings, the word of the Lord against you, if you disobey it. And Ahab comes and he does all those things. He considered it trivial to worship other gods. Um, his father Omri, it says before him, uh, did more, you know, did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all the kings before him. And then it says of Ahab, and Ahab did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all the kings before him, because he took what Omri did to a new level. He, he, it, it was, it was nothing. To, but it's, it's as though sin just increased. You know, sin is contagious. Did you know that? Sin is contagious, and we see it in the Book of Kings. It just increased. The sinfulness just increased. And one generation just becomes more sinful than the next. Sin is contagious. And that means, that means, listen to this now. That means that the battle that you are fighting against sin, you're not only fighting for yourself, but for the people around you and the people to come after you. Don't think that this battle of sin that you're fighting, hard as it might be to you, you are just fighting it for yourself. You're also fighting it for the benefit of those around you. Because unless we fight sin, it will increase and increase and increase, as we see in the book of Kings. Um, and Omri, I mean, he wanted to um, sort of make alliances with the kings around him. And the Phoenicians, he, he was, uh, they, they lived next door, and they had the two big cities with Sidon, Tyre and Sidon in Phoenicia. And, and they were coastal um, kingdom. So they built amazing ships. Um, 
and, and they, they traded on the water. So, so he wanted some of that trade, and so he married off his son Ahab to Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, the king. And he was, he was the king priest of, um, according to Josephus, he was the king priest of Phoenicia, uh, and specifically Sidon, for I think about 32 years. Um, and so, so he, his name, Ethbal, you can see the word Baal is in there. And he was a king priest. So he, he was not only the, the leader of that kingdom, but he was the high priest to Baal, which was the Phoenician god, um, god of the storm god, if, if, you can, if you can call him that. Um, and he married off his son Ahab to Jezebel. Jezebel came and lived in the kingdom, and she brought this religion of her, di- of her dad, the high priest, of Phoenicia, of, of Sidon, to Israel. And <clears throat> what Ahab did that was worse. I mean, the guys before, the kings before also worshipped Baal. But what Ahab did, what, which was just took this, this evil to a whole new level, is he built a temple to Baal in Samaria, built an altar, sacrificed on it to Baal, built an Asherah pole next to it, and institutionalized the worship of Baal in the northern kingdom. He made it the state religion. He made it the state religion. And the whole of the northern kingdom, the vast majority of it, followed him in this worship of Baal. And um, all of this was done against the word of the Lord, which said, be careful that when you enter this promised land I'm giving you, that you don't get enticed by the peoples who live there to follow their gods, to worship their gods. And... Then there's a, a, a little story, sort of just that seems like sort of just a, a little interlude, um, where it talks about Hael uh, from Bethel who rebuilds Jericho, and and I believe that was given specifically to the because it, it refers back. It says um, there was a prophecy, basically a curse spoken by Joshua the son of Nun. Remember Joshua came, he led the guys through the Jordan River on dry ground into the promised land and the first city they sacked was the city of Jericho that's the first city on the western side of the Jordan River that they sacked when they entered the promised land through the Jordan and after they conquered it Joshua said in Joshua 6 verse 26 uh, cursed be the person who rebuilds the walls of the city because he wanted it as the first fruits of their conquest of the promised land to stand as an eternal monument of God's faithfulness. Because remember what happened to those walls. Who broke down the walls? God himself. What God has broken down, let no man rebuild. That's basically what Joshua was saying. Let these, this, these rubble walls remain as an eternal monument to the fact that God was the one who conquered the promised land for us and through us. And cursed be the one who rebuilds these walls. Now, now people did live in Jericho. The, the curse was not that people may not live in Jericho, but that they may not be rebuild its walls, rebuild it as a city. Okay? The walls, because it was specifically the walls that the Lord broke down, and they should remain down as the Lord had left them. Um, and, and he specifically said, whoever rebuilds, Joshua said, whoever rebuilds the city will, will lay the foundation, the walls, I mean, will, 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 will um, lay the foundation of the walls at the cost of his uh, firstborn, and he'll hang the gates at the cost of his youngest. And that's exactly what happened with Hiel. Exactly. Now, wh- why, why is that in there? Because in the midst of Ahab disregarding the word of the Lord against him, 
God was just wanting to show him, listen here, and, and, and all of Israel, listen here, whatever the Lord says comes, always comes to pass. The word of the Lord always comes to pass. So here was a case study where a few hundred years before that, Joshua had prophesied this. It was recorded in the book of Joshua. And it happened exactly as it was recorded. Exactly. To the letter. And that was a warning that the word of the Lord comes to pass, even when it's the word of the Lord against you. It will come to pass. Now, not only does the word of the Lord against us come to pass, but the word of the Lord through us comes to pass. Because then all of a sudden, in chapter 17, Elijah appears on the scene. You know, there's no sort of introduction. His pedigree isn't given. He's, no, he's not a spectacular guy. And this often happens in the book of Kings. Go and read Kings a bit. I mean, often the, the prophets aren't even named. It just says a man of God. <laughs> you know, obscure man of God. They don't even know his name. And, and Elijah, you know, he, he, just, he just says where he came from. You know, the, the city Tishbe, where he came, comes from, is so obscure, we don't even know where it is anymore. Now, so it was no great city or anything. He had no pedigree. He just arrives on the scene, and he says to Ahab the king, it will not rain or dew in the land of Israel until I give the word. Until I give the word. Now, um, why that's important, I, I read to you, um, you can go and read in chapter 28 of, of Deuteronomy also, about the blessings and the curses, blessings for obedience, cursing for, for disobedience. And one of the curses, God says, I'm going to shut the heavens. You know, the, the heavens will become like bronze and, and, the, and the ground will become like iron. And, and the rain will be like dust. You know, it, it will, it will, in fact, it won't rain. I'll shut the heavens. And that was one of the curses. And, and, and now comes Elijah and he says, this is going to happen. This word of the Lord against you is now coming to you through me. So the word of the Lord through, through me <clears throat> is coming to you. And here's, here's the thing. Baal, sort of in the background of the Holy Elijah story, is this contest between Baal and Yahweh. And I'm, I'm going to show you in, in, in this passage now. But we know the more famous climax of it, the showdown on Mount Carmel, where Elijah eventually challenges. And, 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 and remember, what, what, is it, what does Elijah's name mean? It comes from El, which means God, and Jah, which is the shortened form of Yahweh. El, Jah, Yahweh is God. So his name sums up his message. Yahweh is God. Not Baal. Baal isn't God. Yahweh is God. Okay? So we, we know it, the climax of that showdown on Mount Carmel where they built the, the altars um, and, and the fire coming down from heaven. He said, you know, whoever is the true God, if Baal is the true God, let him send fire down from heaven and consume it. And, and the 450 Baal prophets, they go crazy and they do the incantations and they try and call down fire from heaven and nothing happens, not even a spark, you know. <laughs> not even the, the rumble of a thunder, you know. <laughs> and eventually they start cutting themselves and, and, and Elijah starts mocking them. Maybe he's sleeping, you know. Even... <laughs> He even says, maybe he's gone to the loo. Maybe he's gone to relieve himself, you know. Maybe, maybe he's out of hearing and you need to shout a bit louder. And they're cutting themselves and shouting and screaming, going crazy, and nothing happens. And, and eventually Elijah said, okay, fine, enough, you know, my turn. He says, okay, throw water on the altar, you know, and he throws like 
they dig a ditch around the altar, throw water in it, throw water over it everywhere, and he prays, and just a simple prayer, and fire comes down from heaven and consumes not only the sacrifice, but the whole altar. So, so that's a showdown, but already here, we, the showdown starts. Because who was Baal? Uh, in fact, let me, uh, uh, this is just a little commentary I have, and um, it uh, gives a few interesting facts, relevant facts, I think, about Baal. So let me just read that to you. It says, <clears throat> um, in these texts, uh, the, the Ugaritic texts that were discovered by archaeologists, <clears throat> um, discovered there, um, Baal was depicted as a nature deity whose primary function and powers in the pantheon encompassed weather and fertility. Baal was the storm deity. He was called, literally, the rider of the clouds. He was often portrayed with a lightning bolt in his one hand, that's in you know, rock um, inscriptions and, and stuff, and uh, thunder was identified as his voice. voice. Ancient Syrophoenician, uh, Syro-Palestine was an agrarian society, and because Baal gave ra- the rains, he was worshipped to ensure the fertility of the land and the production of crops. Since all of life was tied to the fertility of the land, it was not hard to see why it was so tempting to Israel to worship Baal. Describing the impact of Baalism in uh, Israel, Hosea likened Israel to an adulterous wife who said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Because the fruitfulness of the land was attributed to Baal, he was often associated with the motives of life and healing as well. And then, <clears throat> in another place it says, um, there could be no clearer way to throw down the gauntlet to the worship of Baal um, than what Joshua, uh, what, what Elijah does here. He says, it won't rain until my word. Because remember, <laughs> Baal was the god of the storm. He was the god of rain that produced fertility in the land. So he was throwing down the gauntlet. In Canaanite mythology, Baal was the god of the storm. In one of the ancient texts from Ugarit, which was a city close to Tyre, Baal's power was uh, over the waters uh, is described. Seven years shall Baal fail, eight the rider of the clouds. There shall be no dew, no rain, no surging of the, um, of the two depths, nor the goodness of Baal's voice. Um, then it says in another one, the heavens... Rain, oil, the, the wadis run with honey. So I know that the, almighty, the mighty one, Baal, lives. This is, this is a prophecy in, in one of those texts. Lo, the prince, the lord of the earth, exists. Um, so what we have here is actually a massive showdown between two deities. Baal, the god of the storm, the rider on the clouds, who's supposed to bring rain, and the Israelites who are worshipping exactly because they believe he does bring rain. And here comes God, and he throws down the gauntlet, and he says, I open the heavens, and I shut them. I'm going to take the very thing that you are worshiping Baal for, and I'm going to cut it off completely. It will not rain, nor dew, it says, until I give the word, Elijah says. And um, much of what's happening here played around the the plain of Jezreel. And what happened was... um, even when it didn't rain, there was always a thick layer of dew in the morning. So much so that if you planted there, even if it didn't rain, the dew was enough to sustain the crops. And he specifically says, it's not going to rain 
He's not even going to do. There's going to be nothing until I give the word. So he's taking what God said in Deuteronomy and he's specifically prophetically applying it. And um, uh, it makes me think of, of something I heard um, Reinhard Bonke say, um, you know, when he was still a, um, a little unknown evangelist in Lesotho, doing crusades there for a couple of dozen of people. <laughs> Um, not being very successful, I think he'd seen one or two conversions. Um, he was calling out to the Lord and complaining to the Lord, and the Lord said to him, print posters and advertise a miracle crusade. And uh, I, don't think, <laughs> I don't think at that stage he'd seen any miracles. None whatsoever. I mean, this is the very early days of, of Raynaud Bonker's ministry. So he prints, you know, eventually after fighting with the Lord, he in faith prints these posters and said, a miracle crusade in Masiru, and he puts them up all across the capital of Lesotho. And now he's stressing. <laughs> he hired a stadium <laughs> and advertised the miracle crusade at the stadium. Now, his track record is, you know, one or two people saved. This is after years of ministry. No miracles, nothing big. And now he's hired a stadium and printed posters and put them up all over, over the city saying... Miracle crusade. Bring the sick. <laughs> and um, he tells a story apparently of, of you know, wrestling with God. I, I think what happened, yes, yes, what happened, yes. If I remember correctly, he actually invited some other, other evangelist, you know, who actually did miracles and stuff. But in the end, somehow God made it work out that this guy couldn't come. And he canceled. And I think that was like on the evening before or on the morning of the crusade. And now he's there. He's advertised everything. The stadium is full. The people are there. They're waiting for their miracles. And the evangelist that he hired to come and do the crusade and the miracles didn't show up. Now he's sitting there. Lord, how can you do this to me? You know, what's going on? And to make a long story short, God said the thing that sort of changed everything is when God said this to him. He said to him, Bonker, my word in your mouth is as powerful as my word in my mouth. Go and speak it. My word in your mouth is as powerful as my word in my mouth. Go and speak it. Can you hear Elijah saying, it won't rain until I give the word because I give the word of the Lord. It's not only the word of the Lord against us that, is, that will come to pass. It's the word of the Lord through us. But then it goes on, and immediately after that, God says, let me actually just read that to you, in chapter 17, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Directly after he brought this word to to King Ahab, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, and it says, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. So not only the word of the Lord against us, and the word of the Lord through, uh, uh, through us, but also the word of the Lord to us. It says, go. Yeah, God's word is preserving him. So in the midst of God, so, so the picture here is on the one hand of the word of the Lord bringing judgment on Israel when Israel is disobedient. But the same word of the Lord preserving Elijah from that judgment and saying, flee. Go to the other side of Jordan. Leave Israel. Go east of the Jordan out of the promised land into the Kerith Valley and go and hide there. The same word that judges the wicked preserves the faithful. 
The same word of the Lord. Can you see that? The same word of the Lord that brings judgment to the, on the wicked also preserves the righteous and protects them. And, and, and Elijah flees. And now, I mean, the Lord is powerful. He could have, you know, Elijah could have stayed there and he could have protected him in another way. But that, in a, you know, built a wall of fire around him or something so that Jezebel and Ahab and whoever else couldn't get to him. But the Lord doesn't work like that. I mean, who knows from experience that the, that, that the Lord actually often works in very seemingly ordinary ways right but the Lord telling <clears throat> Elijah to flee and go to hide in some ravine is just as miraculous as the Lord sending ten angels to surround him so that he couldn't be killed it's just as miraculous it's more ordinary it's less spectacular but it's as miraculous so he runs and it says um, verse 4 you will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the, uh, the ravens to feed you. See, the word of the Lord not only spoken to Elijah, it's spoken to the birds. Spoken to the ravens. And morning and evening they bring him bread and meat. Exactly what the Israelites ate as they were traveling through the desert towards the promised land. Manna and, and quail. Bread and meat. And he drank from the brook, just like the Israelites drank water from the stone. So it's as though God was taking faithful Elijah, representing the faithful of Israel, out of the promised land, which is now under judgment, and preserving him outside the promised land, on the east side of the Jordan River, and allowing him to experience what Israel experienced before they entered the promised land. Preserving him and providing for him through his word. All of that through the word of the Lord. The judgment, the preservation, the protection, all of it happens. The provision, all of it happens through the word of the Lord. <clears throat> now, so we have the word of the Lord will come to pass. The word of the Lord against us, the word of the Lord through us, the word of the Lord to us. But also the word of the Lord for us. You see, um, you have two main human characters here. King Ahab and Elijah the prophet. And in some sense, both of them represent the people. They're they, they representatives. Now what King Ahab did was against the word of the Lord. He disobeyed the word of the Lord. He worshipped idols um, as a representative of the people. Uh, in fact, Deuteronomy, I'm not going to read it now, but if you want to go and read Deuteronomy 17, I think from verse about 18 to 20, it says... In, in verse 14, you, you're allowed to appoint a king when you enter the promised land if you want to be like the other nations. Um, but th then there are certain rules, you know. Don't let the king do this. You may not have too many horses. You may not have too much money. Um, but you may only appoint the king that the Lord chooses. Not, he must be one of your brethren. He must be, in other words, an Israelite. He may not be a foreigner, etc. And then it says, you know, as soon as the king gets appointed, he must make a copy of the law which includes Deuteronomy. Make a copy, a written copy of it, which he must keep with him and read every day or have read every day of his life. So that he may be careful not only to obey the law, but to lead the people of God in obeying the law. Now you have King Ahab doing exactly the opposite. He doesn't have a sock with God's word. I mean, he just ignores it flat, completely. 
He does exactly the opposite. He does all the things that he's commanded not to do. Worships idols, build, builds idol temples, sacrifices animals on them, builds an Asherah pole, all of that stuff. Explicitly, in Deuteronomy, it says, don't do those things. He does all of that. He marries a foreign wife. All of that. Makes alliances with, with, with the nations there. Gets enticed, etc. All of that he, he does. Everything that he's not supposed to do. And he drags, and, and, and the nation disobeys God with him. And the judgment of God comes on them all. A few, thousand, a few hundred years later, you have another king in the promised land. He does exactly the opposite. He obeys everything that the Lord commands in his word. Everything to the letter. He, stu- he clearly studies the word because he quotes it. When the devil tempts him in the wilderness and says, Turn these stones into bread, he quotes Deuteronomy 8 and he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. These are not idle words. They are your life. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised in the light of Deuteronomy 17, which says that the king must make a copy of the law for himself and, and read it every day, if Jesus actually did that. Remember what, what was written on, on above his head on the cross? What was the charge against him? The king of the Jews. Yeah, hangs the king of the Jews. And Jesus was careful to not only read, but to memorize the scriptures and obey them carefully. But unlike Ahab, who disobeyed the word and the whole nation followed him, Jesus obeyed the world the word perfectly. But no one followed him in it. And where Ahab brought judgment on the whole nation, Jesus brought the opposite, forgiveness on the whole nation. Now, that's the one contrast. The other contrast is with Elijah. Because Elijah, in the midst of all of this judgment happening on the nation, God calls Elijah out and says, even though they're going to experience the judgment for their unfaithfulness, you are going to experience, as a representative of the faithful in the nation, the blessing and the preservation of the Lord. So you obeyed, and therefore you're going to experience the blessing and the preservation. Compare that to Jesus, the prophet like Moses, who obeyed a lot more than Elijah. Yet instead of being preserved and experiencing the blessings of Deuteronomy, he experienced exactly the opposite, the curses. And instead of just him being preserved... He got judged, and the whole nation was preserved. Can you see the contrast? The one time in human history when the word of God got turned upside down, when the faithful experienced the curse so that the faithless could experience the blessing. The one time in human history when the word of the the Lord, the opposite happened. And the opposite happened for us. It happened for us. So, what I want you to see is, I mean, we we don't have Baal anymore. We're not an agrarian society. So, it's not tempting to us to worship some other storm god. But what, what is the god that we are tempted to worship? The one that promises prosperity. In, in Santon. In fact, turn to one another quickly and quickly discuss that for a couple of minutes. In Santon, what is the God that we are tempted to worship and follow? Okay, so what do you think? 
Tell me, what, what is the, the false god that people in Santon are tempted to worship and to, to run after? Self? Money. Mammon. Stuff, you know, possessions, wealth. Anything else? Status, yeah? Power. Yeah? <clears throat> Lust, yeah? Lust, which is very closely connected to self, because I, I want stuff for myself, yeah? But that's true. So, I mean, I, I would say um, all of those are right. I, uh, you know, if I had to guess, one that is probably very tempting is mammon, because mon- mammon can get you status, mammon can get you um, stuff, you know, all kinds of nice stuff. Mammon can fulfill your lust if you want to. Mammon can, uh, can, can get you almost anything, just like Baal in the olden days in Israel was said to get you great wealth and basically anything you want, provide all your needs. So I would say, you know, mammon probably is, is one of the great um, temptations. And what I want you to see is that through us, as God's spokesman, God wants to throw down the gauntlet to the false gods of Santon, to mammon and whoever else, and say the very thing, I'm going to show you that the very thing that you say your God can give you is a thing that only I can actually give you as the Lord God, Yahweh, the true God. And I want to encourage us. Let let us be like Elijah and let us speak that word and let us, in fact, live that life. Because Elijah didn't only speak the word um, of the Lord and judge um, the, the the word of of the Lord against Ahab in judgment. He also um, received and lived out the word of the Lord for him and put the word of the Lord and the consequences of obeying the word of the Lord on display as the Lord preserved him. And that's what God called us to be. God called, in, in a kingdom of apostasy, God called Elijah to, be, to stand in stark contrast to all the unfaithfulness to Yahweh, as everyone was bowing down to Baal. And in a city of apostasy, God has called us to likewise be a counter-community, a counter-cultural community that remains faithful to Yahweh as everyone else is bowing down to Mammon and worshiping Him. And showing, not only telling, but showing this community that the things that you are really longing for, looking for, you will not find in Mammon. The, the satisfaction, the fulfillment you so want, and you think you're going to get it from Mammon, you will not get it from him, but you will get it from Yahweh, the God of the Bible. You will get it from him. And we need to not only say that to them, we need to show that to them through our lives, through putting the word of the Lord on display. Amen? That's what God has called us to be. He has called us to be a counter-cultural community that puts His word on display. Because remember, these are not just idle words. They are your life. They are your life. Amen?
I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes for a moment and focus on the Lord. And I want you to ask, ask the Lord. Lord, as, as your representative, how do you want me to throw down the gauntlet to Mammon or to the idols of Santon? Just ask the Lord and expect him to answer you. Okay? Ask the Lord, Lord, how do you want me as your representative to throw down the gauntlet to the idols of Santon? Is there anyone who actually receives an answer from the Lord? Let's put up your hand nice and high. Wave at me if, if you felt the Lord giving you an answer. Maybe two or three of you want to come forward and just share what the Lord said to you. Um, I just felt two things. The first one was um, a simple one that's not to conform to what the, the, the norm is here. But the, but the second one is to, um, what I just felt the Lord tell me was that here uh, material things are very important. So things that are tangible that you can see. But sometimes God does things symbolically and to actually trust him for symbolic action and uh, things which, um, which, which make an impact in the spiritual realm um, and which people here might jest or laugh at, but which is actually powerful. Yeah, so mine is uh, very much the same as Cornell. Um, I just felt God saying um, to really live fervently for him. And to be uncompromisingly obedient to everything that he says. And the second one um, is to really value community and um, to love him. Um, and love everyone else around you um, with all your heart. Yeah. Uh, evening church. Um, I think I just felt the Lord say that to be joyous and filled with joy in a time and in an environment where there's no other reason to be filled with joy that's so good um what you can also do is you can have sabbath one of the biggest problems we have in a culture that is workaholic is that we don't rest and and, and people don't rest because they believe that if i if i give up that time and rest then i'm going to fall behind in other words, they trust in their own effort. And when you rest, you're showing, I trust in the Lord. I don't trust in my own effort. I, because God is the one who promotes me. So I, I can take time out to rest. You can say, listen here, um, I, I'm not going to work crazy hours. And they're going to say, what? but then you're going to miss promotions. You can say, well, I trust the Lord to promote me. See, my, my trust is not in you to promote me. My trust is in the Lord to promote me. And I'm going to trust the Lord that I'm going to be such a good worker that in less hours I'm going to get more done for this company and be more of a benefit to this company than being a workaholic and working myself to death and, and ending up, you know, 45 and I'm divorced, you know, and my kids never see me because I just never spend time at home with my family. So I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to make choice. I'm going to make certain sacrifices to show that I don't worship Mammon. I worship Yahweh. I can testify on what Henny just said. Um, I've been working for the same company for four years. In the beginning, they expected me to work crazy hours every weekend, overtime. Put my foot down and I told 
who, the guy who's now second in charge of our company, I refuse. I will not come in on weekends because your lack of planning is not my emergency. Been promoted three times. <laughs> you see, you see, I rest my case. I rest my case. <laughs> see, in the end of the day, just like in Joseph's life, it's God who promotes us. God promotes us. God opens a door that no man can shut. Um, and you know what a testimony it is? And because, I mean, when we do give in to that, okay, I'm not going to get promotion, so I'm going to work myself, you know, crazy, dead, you know, over time, every day and over weekends, so much so that I can't, that I don't have time or energy to come to church or have any sort of significant com- community. Not only is it bad for us, but it just conforms to the society. But when I say, no, I'm not going to do that, and I do still do well at work i still i I work hard and i'm diligent and i and i have integrity and the lord blesses my work because i'm trusting in him i'm not trusting in in what i'm doing i'm trusting in him and and he's blessing i mean what is blessing it's god's supernatural naturally positive influence on your life god's hand is upon you why did Joseph do so well? You know, whether it was in, in part of his house or whether it was in prison or whether it was in the palace, he did well because the Lord was with him and the blessing of the Lord was upon him. You see, when we obey God and we say, Lord, I'm not going to bow down to Mammon and because Mammon is a slave driver. Let me just say it straight. Mammon is a slave driver that will crack the whip over you as long as you allow him to, as long as you serve him and worship him. But if you say, I'm not worshiping you anymore, I'm worshiping the Lord God, God will give you a full life and you'll because of his hand that is upon you for good and his blessing that is upon you, you'll get more done in less time than all of your colleagues who worship Mammon. And you know what a testimony that will be to them. They might not recognize it immediately, but as time goes on and they see you getting, receiving from Yahweh all the things that they thought they were going to receive from Mammon, they're going to look at your life and say, I want what you have. And then you're going to say, well, then you're going to serve my God <laughs> because he gave it to me. <laughs> Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.com. I'm the one who gave you